Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is Matt Hines, and I'm out here checking in from Petaluma, California. I'm out here now on Family and Friends Farm. Uh, so, uh, as I may have alluded to in the introduction, I've had a significant life change. Uh, and a new opportunity has presented itself uh, to be working independently on family land. I'm out here on my grandparents at their spot. And uh, we have about, well, in total, there's three quarters of an acre of growing space. And we're going to make a go of it, trying to grow some vegetables out here. Or really, this is, you know, this is my personal enterprise, which, um, you know, I really, it's dependent on my grandparents, though. <laughs> and really, all of my family being out here, out here in the Sonoma County area, Petaluma, Extended family out around the area, and um, I can definitely say that what I feel has been saved my career in farming or, or enabled my career in farming to get it to keep going at, at this juncture, it came down to family support. And so if I could really see the value of that, and I know that not everybody has that kind of opportunity, and um, I can talk about some characteristics of this place that really makes it amenable to this kind of thing, which is, which is we're growing produce out here, vegetables, and working towards maybe some fruits too. It's a relatively small space. This is definitely a small farm. But I think there's a lot of still the capacity here is pretty, there's a pretty high potential at least for it to be taking, I mean, one way to look at it is, so what was happening here before was that we were just, or they were just mowing it, mowing this ground. And they just basically bring in a mower through here four or five times a year um, through all of this three quarters of an acre. And now what we're going to be doing is, and you know, so that's whatever value that space has for you as it or for them as it was and I, this is like a sp very specific situation but this is not an uncommon sort of arrangement there are millions of acres that have the same sort of capacity the same sort of low being close to a very populated area which is a 
amenability factor here that's really in our favor. Having a demand for the for produce, healthy local produce, is high. Um, but so in you know, but this kind of acreage, like less than an acre. And what can be done on that space to produce healthy produce for that locality? And many of our localities have so many people who are struggling to access healthy produce and certainly local produce. And it seems like then... I don't know. I'm just looking at it like this. I'm trying to get the numbers on what can be grown here and then what would the value of that be. And there's the whole factor of how you could sell everything and creating a market for everything, which let's just put that conversation aside. Let's just assume that you can sell everything that you're growing. And you kind of got to know what you should be growing and what can sell that's definitely part of the mathematics that got a factoring that needs to happen but i think it could be something like every tenth of an acre is four thousand pounds and as of right now i'm getting like eight dollars a pound on average Everything's a little different. Some things are higher value, some things are lower value per pound. But the average right now is $8 per pound. I've actually been using the numbers like two, I think like a, a general wholesale price that you can get is $2 per pound. I've been going down as low as $2 per pound to try to do all this figuring. But I think you can get Let's just say five and split the difference. Five dollars per pound on average for the produce that you grow. So then that would be four times five equals 20. And then, so, so that's 20,000 per tenth of an acre. If you have an acre, that's $200,000 worth of produce. I hope I'm doing that math right. If I'm, that's, that's even higher than I, the number I was looking at the other day was trying to figure out, okay, I, th I, I was figuring I could get two, I could get $100,000 on three quarters of an acre. I think within the third by the third or fourth year i think that's a reasonable goal all this just just these are just some numbers like look look at those numbers that's pretty good <laughs> and i you know i think one maybe one and a half people salaries and then okay so we take a look at some of those numbers and it's like from my personal income around here, uh, 
I mean, I don't want to reveal too much information, but basically the cost of living would try to get $20,000 for like the, I guess you could call it the rent, which is room, board, and the the space, which that's a really cheap price for the value of the land out here, which is only possible if you have family connection like this or just somebody who's altruistic which there's some people who are <laughs> um, so you these arrangements are findable you get an acre and you can you can work with this so you got twenty thousand dollars for like the rent and then you have thirty thousand dollars for living expenses and then the way I'm doing it you've got 15 maybe maybe 15,000 I'm even saying $10,000 a year for cost to run the business and to run the farm let me just let's just let's go 20,000 okay we'll say 20,000 per year but I you know I don't think you need that much money so what do we got? 20, 40. There's like it's like close to $100,000. So at that point you you're breaking even basically. 100 for 100. And my uncle was like I was saying it was going to break even. He's like, "Well, what's the point? If you're not going to make any profit, then what's the point?" But the thing about this is how much freedom you're afforded with this lifestyle and being out being able to be out here and what really I'm also encouraged by is um, I feel like it's not too hard it's not too hard for one person to do this and if you have two people to do it it's even less not that hard <laughs> At least maybe I'm maybe I'm being overly optimistic right now. I'm like in a good mood. <laughs> we'll see how I do. Okay, so maybe I should just like not jump to any conclusions. But right now it feels doable, and it's also important to mention that methodology-wise, I'm not doing any tillage. There's not a lot of mechanical workings. Uh, like mo we're mowing around the perimeter, but we're not. Uh, that's about it. We're not doing any tillage. Our method for managing the grounds that is very experimental that we're working on is uh, I'll walk you through the process here okay so all this ground was just it's it's a meadow it's just turf um, and so we took this and it, it's been very dry until this year where it was very rainy in the off season and so now you're seeing a lot of turf coming up grasses, some wild radish, some clovers, various grasses. 
a few other broadleafs. Mostly non-native. And this is coming up. Um, but all I've been doing is this. I just put down a black tarp, poly tarp. And I've, I've seen people use like a lot thicker, hardier stuff that probably works better. But this stuff is pretty thin. And I'm just tamping it down with some metal stakes and sandbags. It's, a, it's six foot wide strips and I cut it to 50 feet. And I'm just laying this down, tamping it down right on the turf. And at the beginning of the year, there wasn't much, even any turf to tamp down. But now, there definitely is. Now it's up to like four feet high. And even at four feet high, I've been putting this down. And I like just, I kind of like walk on it every other day if I walk out there. But then within 10 days or so, it knocks it down and just kills it right on down. And by a month, you pull the tarp and you just have brown, dead grass layer. Some of the stuff is still alive and you just have to kind of go by and pull it out. But uh, then it's just all done. And then I just all then I'm getting compost and I'm putting it down on, right on top of that, maybe like four inches, and make a three or four foot wide, 50 foot long strip of this. And then what I do is I'm just using a regular ass pitchfork. And I go through and I just dig it down, wiggle down. Uh, I go through each bed like six passes. Time consuming and laborious for sure. But that's just giving the aeration the minimum necessary to, for the roots to get down. And then I plant right into that. And I'm, this is all, we're going to see how it goes. But so far, the results are pretty good. I'm very happy with what, what we're getting with the growing. And how easy it is. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's not that hard to do this no-till. We'll, we'll see what happens. I've heard a lot of other people say that the weeds just get too bad over time. Certain weeds get worse. But, the, you know, the other thing I'm going to try to do, though, is we'll see if we can actually do this, but we'll go continuous plantings in this area once we make these beds. We'll do that for, like, nine months to a year. I would say six months to a year continuously planting. And... Uh, in these beds that we make. And then what we'll do is we'll sow it with native cover crop mix. Depending on the season, we'll either plant the warm season or the cool season mix. We'll have two mixes, all natives. We'll, we'll sow those seeds. 
will rise that up. And then, you know, so that will be maybe a six-month period that that grows up. And then we're coming back through with the tarp. Lay the tarp right over the top of that. And it all begins again. And so that kind of cycle, is that sustainable? I don't know. Is that actually building the soil? <laughs> I don't know, but that's the best thing I can I can think to do. And it, well, and I was mentioning like just one anecdote I've heard about the no-till that's challenging over time to to make that an ongoing practice is that the weeds get too bad. Certain weeds become too much of a problem. But I'm just curious to see if we have this cover crop program that we're implementing as well, how would that affect those extra problematic weeds? Would it keep them down? So we'll see. This is the method that, uh, and I'm not trying to say this is the way to do it. I don't even want to get into like, this is just the way that I'm trying it out right now. But I think there's some aspects of this that are very interesting. And I'm just surprised that I don't hear this tarp method. I, I've come across, I was actually reading today through a couple of no-till books that I saw. And they use a method where the first thing they do is... They, well, they, you mow it down really low, the a turf area, and then you put down a piece of cardboard, and then you put a lot of mulch, like um, at least a foot of mulch on top of that, and then you're eventually planting into that, which, uh, yeah, I mean, that's cool. But a lot of these books, though, they're kind of focused more on garden scale. I'm trying to scale that up a little bit more to this level to get to a half acre or more. I just don't even know where you would get that much cardboard to do that. And I don't like to use any plastic if I don't have to, which that's a whole other conversation maybe we could have in another podcast. Plastic use on the farm, which is a big problem even for organic farmers, tend to use a lot of plastic products. But uh, I can say that relatively, you know, using this strip of plastic that's not even that much material, and I think I could probably get use out of this for three seasons or so at least. Um, I mean, it's a pretty good product, and it's, pretty per it's a pretty powerful method. I think, unless I'm proven wrong as time goes on, like right now, I am really excited about this method. I think it saves so much time because this, the other thing it does is it creates a stale seed bed. Somebody was raising concern that like, oh, well, you're going to have all these seeds coming. How are you going to manage the seed load? And there's a lot of concern. A lot of people are worried about a seed load. And I'm just thinking, well... 
if I'm using this method, I don't I don't need to manage the seed load. I want there to be seeds. I want there to be those native seeds that actually come to dominate this area. I don't want to kill all of them, even in this area, because I don't even want to have to seed more. Eventually, I don't want to have to seed more cover crop. I just leave that area bare, and then it's all the native cover crop is just what comes comes up naturally. All I have to do is give the slight advantage to the produce that I want to grow, which is mostly non-native stuff. All the all the different kinds of vegetables but uh, all I have to do is give them a slight advantage and what this what this does apparently the tarp when if you have it down for a month and then you pull it pull it up there's gonna be seeds that are right there that are not they're not dead they're just dormant. There's a dormancy period. They didn't receive any light, and then they receive the light, and then they can start to grow. But there's a period of time where they're not going to grow right after you pull it, even if they're watered. And so you can use that time period to your advantage to just get your thing started, and then you'll still have to weed it probably. But then with the mulch layer on top of that, which should be a weed-free compost mulch that you can seed directly into, that additional layer of protection with those seeds, it just like, it makes it very negligible the amount of weeding that you actually have to end up doing. And I know with a lot of other methods, it's like, Weeding can be the limiting factor. And right now, I can just say that that's not the limiting factor for me. Weeding is not that big of a deal right now using this method. So that's just one of many different aspects of this that I could go into. I'll leave it at that for today. That's just a little bit, I guess, on what I'm up to now, the farming venture I'm on to, and then, uh, yeah, I guess just like the interesting methodology, no-till methodology. I don't know, and just to tie a bow on that point, I think what I was trying to say was even though the, the the thought is if you're doing no-till that you're just like going to have to kill yourself to be able to do this. And, you know, and I'm moving the compost by hand too. I got the, I got it just dropped off, like 35 yards dropped off. And then I have just been wheelbarrowing it around and dropping it off. But that process, I know people think that's just like so arcane. Like, oh my God, did, did you have a guy to do that for you? Or, or isn't there a machine for that? And it's like, no, that's actually not that hard. 
and it actually feels really good. I love doing it. It feels really good. I don't go to the gym anymore. <laughs> I just do this. Every week, we're adding a little bit more. We're making more beds like this. And it's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. And it actually feels really good. <laughs> so, that's just a little secret, okay, about farming. Like, it's this notion that I hear this a lot from people. It's like, oh, farming, oh my god, you, you're going to get, you know, you're going to break your back, and aren't you worried about your body? And it's like, no, I'm worried about your body, because you're sitting on your ass all day, <laughs> typing. No, I... No offense to anybody. It's, it's all love and all respect, and we're all just trying to figure this out. But I'm just saying that the notion that farming is uh, too hard physically, nah, man, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> and I, just, I feel like I know a secret. I mean, I don't want to tell anybody this secret, but yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. So, so, that's not the hardest part anyways. And I was also been saying like how I swear more than half the time I am walking around in circles and thinking about what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just like thinking about what's the next because plenty of times I've gotten myself in a situation where like I do a f like a full day's work and then at the end of the day I realize like god damn it I shouldn't have done it that way <laughs> and now I'm going to have to like do redo half that work and that is when it can be a killer that's when it can be discouraging so I try to remember all of these little lessons as they go. And there's so many little things that are going on. It's a lot of little things, a lot of little decisions. You may be doing something and it feels like a small task. It's a physical task. It's a small task. I find myself in that situation a lot. But at the same time, it's like if it's something that needs to get done, sometimes you just need to turn the motor on just get the task done and uh, look back at the end of the day and hopefully you checked most of your boxes that you planned more than spent most of your day <laughs> coming up with your list of tasks for the day. So it's a funny thing, isn't it? But I think it's, it's also very relatable. My buddy that I'm selling to is, uh, he's describing his situation where he's selling at a little deli and smoothie joint. And when he talks about the nature of his work, it's, it's very similar to what I'm doing. And so, though it's, uh, some of us might find ourselves in a, job situation where we can't we're just kind of feeling uh, isolated the concepts may be 
experienced by many different people. But alright, anyways, I'm starting to just talk a bunch of bullshit now, so I'm going to hang it up and uh, keep it real until next time. Peace.